Welcome to the Business as Mission podcast, dedicated to those who long to see God glorified in business and the nations reached for Christ. Your host is Mike Bayer, longtime BAM leader and founder of Third Path Initiative, an online education resource for starting and growing BAM businesses around the world. I have a special guest with us today. His name is Kevin Mullins, and uh, he's got a great story. Uh, he lives in Portugal. His wife was, was Portuguese-American, and uh, they now live there with their two kids and uh, doing some amazing work. Give us a two-minute thumbnail of how you and your wife got to Portugal in the first place. It's, it's great to be here with you, Mike. Two minutes. We got to Portugal having visited Portugal while we were living in Ireland. So we were uh, working in full-time church work. We were ministers there. Uh, I was a, an associate minister for a Christian church in Dublin. Started visiting Portugal because of my wife's family and uh, just fell in love with the country. Short story, we moved back to California for a few years. And then we came over to Portugal from time to time and then just decided that one day we wanted to to move here. Starting in 2009, we started looking for partnerships. And I think like a lot of people that are hungry for God, we found a missions agency that wanted to partner with us. And we joined with them, came over and started work in 2010. Yeah. So interesting, we were just talking about the kind of history of the last 10 years, going back context wise, you've got uh, a communist dictatorship until you said 1979. And so there was a new Portugal birth in that year. Uh, but the most traumatic event, the most dramatic event was the crisis, financial crisis of 2017. And yeah. you were talking about that and, and it, how it started your business. Give us a, give us a little background yeah. on what that was like, because I don't think many Americans are really aware of what the troubled countries of Europe have gone through in the last year. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's several countries, Ireland being one of them, and we lived there, and Portugal being another, that... When you look back over the last, let's say, 10 years, you can see a dramatic change. And we started visiting Portugal in 2003. We were living in Ireland from 2004 to 2007. And then we moved to Portugal in 2010. And so we had an opportunity to see the old country. We saw the way that people lived in the old days, and especially in countries like Portugal that are so old, things don't change very quickly. And we joke about it, but here in Portugal, uh, the Portuguese don't change unless they're forced to change. And so we lived through this old country and got to know the old way of doing things, old government, old education systems. And then the financial crisis hit. And like I said, the U.S. had caught a flu, a really bad flu, starting in 2008, this global financial crisis. Well, countries here in Europe, like Portugal, not only got the flu, but turned into a nasty case of pneumonia and almost died. And, and Portugal went through a, a very severe financial shock. And in many ways, this was like our great depression. From 2011, 12, all the way to 2017, Portugal was struggling with failed banks. We had riots in the streets for many years, like in Greece and Spain and others. We went through multiple par- parliaments, governments just changing over year after year. Taxes and laws were changing. And on top of that, we had a very severe brain drain. Like I said, we were losing at one point over a million young people a year to immigration. They're going to places like Paris, France, and London, England, Canada, some of them immigrating to the United States. And then we had a lot of uh, Brazilians, Angolans, Mozambicans, who they said, we've had enough, and they went back to their countries. And things are really bad when people are opting to leave Europe and go back to Africa. Yeah. You know, that's how bad things were. Yeah. And so 
what happened after that was we muddled our way through. Governments got a bailout. Uh, Troika came in, European Central Bank, and uh, the European Union lent Portugal un- ungodly sum of money that they'll never pay back. And we started to rebuild. And so we're living in a post-crisis Portugal. And of course, COVID hasn't helped with the financial uh, shock that we've gone through now. And, and so we're right back there again. But the years after this great financial crisis were real, uh, a real pivot for Portugal. And we have seen the last 10 years living here uh, and visiting here the last, gosh, nearly 20 years that this is a new Portugal. A lot of the young people that went away came back and um, brought with them new ideas. They got, they were exposed, let's say, to capitalism and innovation and entrepreneurship and business growth and all these things that the old Portugal didn't really understand. We, this is a country that bounced around from dictatorship to communism to socialism for the last, let's say, 100 years. So a lot of the young people, that's all they had ever known. So when they went to these other countries and experienced life over there, and then they brought those ideas back, those two systems are clashing. And the old and the new are clashing. Kind of what you were saying with the former Soviet Union. I think we're living through a very similar time here in Portugal. Yeah, it, 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 having watched that personally, uh, very up close and personally, I estimated and it turned out to be correct that it takes a generation to work through that. Now, you've got a great advantage, I think, when you've got all these young people coming back, having seen what freedom and capitalism and liberty, what it looks like. And, and they, I don't think, wait a generation. And that's exciting. But uh, mm-hmm. I have no doubt of being tumultuous. And I'm so tempted to do political here <laughs> because of the, the slide towards socialism here in the U.S., but I'm not going to. Just, that's my stick, but I'm not going to go there. But, so you talked about how you ended up starting your business. I guess the core business is Joy Lab. Yep. Uh, and then you've started a couple of different consultancies and then Tomavox. So mm-hmm. when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that was a, and I'll say this and you can expand on it. Okay. Uh, Kevin was telling me that, that it's, he's not a traditional bammer. He didn't set out to do business as mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and truthfully, I think most people listening to this will say, well, that's good news because they didn't either. A lot of people stumbled into it and realized that's what they're doing. But you, you were trying to solve a problem. You weren't looking to start a business. You were really looking to solve a problem. So t- tell me again what we talked about earlier. That, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, so I started out, Mike, like I said, I was when I started my career, I was interested in two things, uh, three things, really. I was always a techie. I love technology, but I was involved in, in law enforcement and firefighting. I was going to choose one of those two paths and worked as a wildland firefighter, worked as a probation officer in the prison system in California. And God decided something different for us. So after we were married, we went into, we went to seminary and I got involved in Christian ministry, but I came by it. I I came by it naturally, I think, because my predisposition, as we say, was always geared towards theology, philosophy. I've always been a thinker, deep reader. And that's what I got my university degree in, only to scratch an itch. I was studying religion and philosophy and European history just to scratch an itch. I didn't really want to do anything with it. It's turned out to serve me very well uh, because we moved to Portugal as missionaries. We came here to help plant churches, to help grow churches in a deeply Catholic country. And here in Portugal, people who call themselves Catholic or claim to be Catholic, most of them don't even attend Mass. It's something that uh, is cultural rather than practical in their lives. But I was working as a, a Christian minister 
and serving a company in, in, in the United States. And we were working in a small Christian church there in Lisbon when the financial crisis got really bad. And people were coming to the church looking for help. They were begging for food. And so my wife and I were paying out of pocket to help people turn their lights on, uh, turn the heat on in the winter, pay, buy their groceries and things like that. And uh, after a while, we just ran out of money. We ran out of money. Our little church ran out of money. Mm. And we started looking for a solution. And so I started doing research trying to figure out there has to be a better way to help meet this need. There's got to be a better way to create hope and opportunity that's sustainable than just giving money away all the time. That's, a, that's and a so, right there, the sustainability yeah. piece of it. The sustainability, yeah. And I think that in, in America, churches sometimes, they take for granted this this workforce that's innate in the American culture, this innovative entrepreneurial workforce inside churches that are providing for the needs of the church. And sometimes we take that for granted. But here in Europe, we don't have that, especially in Portugal, where entrepreneurship was a foreign concept. Okay. So when the financial crisis hit, people's first reactions weren't, I'm going to start a business. Their first reaction was, I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to go to the government. The government was bankrupt. They didn't have any money. The Catholic Church didn't have any money. Nobody had any money. And the brain drain is just emptying the country of all of our intellectually stimulated young people and smart people are leaving. So we started thinking, and I think it was God raising something up inside of me that I was really wired for business. And so that's where we started. I started looking for a, a solution to this problem. And I started doing my research. I came across uh, the guys that put out Poverty Cure, the documentary series. Mm -hmm. I came across the same guys that did Poverty Inc., great documentaries, which really opened our eyes to how business can be a change agent in deep periods of crisis and how entrepreneurship and capitalism, when it's done right, can actually help a, a country in crisis. And that's where we, we started our business. So yeah, I started my technology company. I had achieved Portuguese nationality. My wife, my kids were all dual citizens. And so my natural res response was business. My natural response was let's create something that can be a job creator and create hope and opportunity. So that's where we started. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. When the more people I talk to, and you and I were discussing earlier that what gets us into BAM, if you will, is not necessarily going studying BAM and, and doing BAM. It's you just look at life and say, I think job creation will help. I think wealth creation will help. And, and having, for your case, lived in a country of, of really massive need. Nobody that hasn't traveled to third and fourth world countries can even imagine what you were up against. And you were already somewhat impoverished just because of the history of communism and socialism. But then to add to that, this financial crisis, the first big global one in 07, 08, and then the, the, the European one in 15, 16, 17, you're seeing things that no amount of charity could have solved. So it's amazing right. to me. And it's wonderful to me that God said, let's start companies. Let's create work. Let's create jobs. Right. Let's then create wealth, which then becomes a, a transformative sort of uh, thing. We talk a lot in the business's mission circles about the quadruple bottom line, right? You've mm -hmm. got spiritual impact. You've got financial impact. You've got environmental impact. And, and one we, we struggle with to define is social impact. And you're yeah. a living example of that. You're living in the middle of a society where with no money, no work, no jobs, no hope. And yeah. to whatever degree God's used you, it has yeah. had societal impact, which is really yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's crazy because most people don't realize this about Portugal. Portugal has, in the Azor Islands, where my mother-in-law is from, 
it's the poorest socioeconomic area of all of Western Europe. Even during the crisis and, and here after the crisis, we're talking about an average monthly wage of 500 euros. Okay. During when I talked about the old Portugal prior to the crisis, I, I've read statistics, something like 50 to 60% of the working population in Portugal worked for the government because the government owned the electricity, they owned the water system, they owned the internet infrastructure, they owned the transportation infrastructure, they owned the health uh, infrastructure, they owned the education system. They ran all of those things. And that was supported by massive progressive taxation. And so you've got a population where the majority of people work for some facet of the government. They bring home on average 500 euros a month. We've got the poorest socioeconomic area in Western Europe. And so the crisis brought all of that to a head. And for the Portuguese young people, entrepreneurship was not th their first option because nobody had ever experienced that. Around that time, while I was starting up these tech consultancies and you know, I've had more failures than successes, but uh, I joined an organization called- I laugh because uh, you're, you and I are members of the same club on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's an equal opportunity employer. But I, I joined an organization called Portuguese Entrepreneurs. And here I am, I'd never run a business. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't go to school to learn business. I felt deep down somehow God had wired me for business. I, just didn't, I didn't even know what that looked like. We were meeting in hotels in the city center of Lisbon and I was meeting with other people who called themselves Portuguese entrepreneurs like me. Most of them didn't have a business like me and all of us had terrible ideas. So it's a bunch of people sitting around in a room and in a hotel sharing terrible ideas. But it was all young people. And it was it, those that stayed, the young people said, we've got to do something to help our country. And it was interesting to see how even through the midst of crisis, the brain drain had happened. Most of the working class young people had left and gone abroad. Those that were left, like my wife and I, we raised our hands and said, we're staying. We're going to stay and we're going to help. And entrepreneurship was that natural consequence where people started to look around and say, what can I do to help my country? And it came and entrepreneurship came to the fore. That's it. I think that again, you're making some really critical points because I do believe there's a mythology about entrepreneurialism that these incredibly smart people like an Elon Musk, I admire or, or Steve jobs or whoever they sit sure, sure. and create these amazing things. But the majority of real entrepreneur and uh, entrepreneur activity around the world seems to be more like what you've just gone through. There's a need and they start getting creative in the way to meet the need. And then they wake up one day and say, wow, I, I've started a business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's not what I came over here to do necessarily, but it, it's what's happened. The old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. And Absolutely. Maybe the, maybe the harsher the necessity, maybe the better the invention. Uh, Kevin, talk a, just a little bit. We'll wrap up here in a minute, but talk a little bit about what uh, Joy Lab does and Atomavox and, and what actual business that you're in. You say God's revealed to you or, or taught you that you've got a, a, a heart and mind for business. Yeah. Uh, but what, what, tell us a little just about your business itself. Yeah, well, I've, I've had a couple of, I've been involved in a couple of projects. Uh, Joy Lab was really the entity that I created. It's a Portuguese-based company. We don't really operate under that name, but it was a business entity that I created so I could go and do my entrepreneurial things. And uh, I was doing a Salesforce consultancy for a while. We made some rather unfortunate marketing decisions that, that ended up killing that business. Then we moved on from there 
to outsourcing, software outsourcing, nearshore developments, we call it here in Europe, or extended development teams in the States. So I did that for a number of years and did that up until the end of 2018 and then uh, had a different vision for where the company was going. So I stepped out of that at the end of 2018. In the middle of all of that, I had started a creative marketing agency called Atomavox. And it's a brand uh, that we use. It's done very well in terms of uh, name recognition and stuff. And that started more or less where most creative agencies start. It was branding and logo design and web design. But as I was getting deeper involved in consulting technology, working with multinational companies, working with these larger businesses that were doing software outsourcing and things, I was getting to meet a lot of interesting people, learn a lot of new concepts. These are things that were new to me. And so when I left that second technology startup and I came back to this creative agency, I had a team working on it, but I came back to it and I took a fresh look at Atomavox and the potential that it could have. And I was really excited. And and that's not to say things were rosy and and perfect because I came out of those other technology companies pretty much bankrupt and coming back to an agency that was just barely hanging on. But we had a lot of new insight, a lot of new information. I said, you know what, I'm going to take all of this stuff that I've learned, all this consultancy stuff, and we're going to apply it to Atomavox. And so for the last 18 months, we have been transitioning Atomavox from kind of this creative agency into what we call inbound marketing. So we're a creative inbound marketing agency. In January of this year, we became a HubSpot certified partner. So we're part of the HubSpot certified partner program. And um, what we do is we work with tech companies. That's my background. We work with SaaS companies. We work with business consultancies. And we help them develop their inbound marketing. And that can be from brand development, can be from website development and marketing funnels, landing pages, gated content offers, but using that HubSpot methodology and all of that layered on top of this great marketing stack called HubSpot, we're able to develop this amazing, robust marketing plan. And one of the things that I always wanted to do, whether it was with the technology consultancies I was in or inside our agency, was create jobs. That was one of the things that came out of that crisis, was we want to be job creators. And for a long time, I thought it was JoyLab, my business, uh, or through Atomavox, that we were going to create a lot of jobs, new opportunities. We're going to build this big agency. And what I've realized is that we ourselves don't really need a big agency. But actually what we're doing uh, is we're helping our clients create jobs. So the better marketing programs that we put together for our clients, the more opportunity they're able to create inside their companies. So that's another great insight, Kevin. I just, I think about BAM practitioners or maybe future practitioners thinking they just that very point you made, they have to go create jobs, not necessarily. If your business like yours describing is actually facilitating job creation at another employer it's still job creation. It's still a blessing to the nation. And that's part of, of what BAM is supposed to be doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, we're going to have to do this again, another conversation, because we're going to yeah. run out of time. Let me close this session by just asking you, what can we do to help you and your family, other than obviously pray for you guys and, and spiritual impact and, and social impact there in Portugal, but what, yeah. what can we do to help you guys? Yeah, the big thing, and I was saying this to the fellows over at IBEC Ventures, and they've been tremendous partners with us and introducing you, Mike. I think one of the things that I've noticed, me coming into BAM as, as like I said, an adopted (laughs) BAM guy, I came in the backside, was 
getting to know my tribe. And I've worked really hard at getting to know people in the BAM community. But when you're working, especially we're outside of our home culture, we're in our adopted culture. And it's, it's easy to feel isolated. It's easy to be isolated. And COVID hasn't helped. People aren't traveling and all that. So I think one of the big things for me is to grow a deeper connection with the, the global BAM community. The people that are on the front lines that are building businesses, they're struggling with the everyday. Some of us who are lear- learning to live cross-culturally, some of us using second language uh, like ourselves in Portuguese, that's the big thing for me. And I think the, the other help, of course, is we've got to find a way to help each other. We've got to help support BAM businesses. One of the things that I've been fascinated by with the Jewish culture always is Jewish first. And I think we've, we as Christians have not always followed that same tradition. We go for the best price, so we go for the bottom line, we, we go for uh, the most convenient, whatever. But I think there is an important element to this. We should be looking for uh, ways that we can support one another in our businesses, support other companies that are uh, providing services that we may not be able to, maybe a little bit more expensive. Maybe we can get it cheaper elsewhere. But in doing so, we're helping this company that's helping others. So I think that's another thing is just more business. Yeah, that, that, that's a, there's a, an emerging, I've been watching this now for 30 years, there's an emerging ecosystem where that is beginning to happen. We're just like, like a toe in the door. So I hope people are hearing what you're saying that within the BAM ecosystem, let's support BAM businesses, not just, and let's be their customers and let's give them customers. And let's, you know, that our success is our success. It's never going to be individualized. And I think your point about Jewish culture, the Jewish culture is always, it's plural. It's never me. It's always we. And, and it's that's one thing. And I think we as BAM practitioners, we need to be thinking that same way. So Kevin, thank you so much. Kevin Mullins from Tomavox. I mispronounced it when we were talking earlier, but he corrected me. And the combination of the word atomic, obviously thinking energy, power, and then Vox, the Latin word for voice. So atomic voice, getting being heard. So that's a fantastic business. I'm looking forward to having you on the podcast again someday soon, I hope. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks to be here. Thanks for listening to the Business as Mission podcast. For more information, go to thirdpathinitiative.com or triventure.com. Please share this podcast and give us a review wherever you listen. The Business as Mission podcast would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Anchor. Anchor is the free platform for creating and publishing podcasts. Check them out at anchor.fm. They are part of the Spotify family. Thanks for listening to the Business as Mission podcast. For more information, go to thirdpathinitiative.com or tryventure.com. Please share this podcast and give us a review wherever you listen.